Okay, we are almost a third through with AP Road History. Now, welcome back to History for Humanity, where we're going to talk about all things history. But for a brief intermission, we're going to talk about the AP World History exams. Okay, so Unit 3 is up, and here we go. Okay, we're going to talk about empires expanding, okay? So, many land-placed empires developed and expanded because of the gunpowder empires, which allowed for expansion and centralized powers like the controlling of taxes, as well as managing trade. The empires categorized as this were all of Turkic descent, spoke Turkic languages, took advantage of the Mongol Khanate breakups, and relied on artillery to expand. In Europe, countries prospered after the end of plagues, which grew with the help of the church, rise of sea exploration, and colonial settlements. In China, the Ming and Qing dynasties expanded China with well-administered government through tax collections and military campaigns. Now, how did these land-based empires from 1450 to 1750 consolidate their power? Well, it was through religion and the centralization of power. In the latter, rulers used the control of armies and taxes, which England used to be led by powerful monarchs and France turned to an absolute monarchy. In Russia, they used the Oprichnina to maintain loyalty to the crown by creating a paramilitary force strictly loyal to Ivan IV. In the Ottoman Empire, the Devshirim system was used to forcefully remove Christian boys from their families to become part of the government and military. We see in Japan the rule of daimyos and their samurai to unify the country, which is similar to Europe's feudalism with lords and knights. For religion, England used the divine right of kings to justify their leader. Temples in the Inca Empire also benefited the Inca rulers. This, alongside the use of a tax system in many empires, maintained rulers in their position. Sorry about the last part, there's a car just zooming by. But let's go back to, you know, empires. We're going to talk about belief systems right now. During this time period, religion was key in uniting people together. But religions like Christianity and Islam eventually split. Not saying that they were together, I'm saying each, both religions, they had like, they split, which caused a lot of conflicts. So starting off with Europe, which was still largely Christian, after the transition into a centralized government, the Roman Catholic Church was paving on its way to corruption, which would lead to splits and reforms. Lutheranism, a religion that was based on the fact that faith, not money, would save people. You also see Protestants, which focused on hard work to lead righteous living, and Anglicanism, which was created by King Henry VIII to justify him remarrying to have a shot at a male heir. Due to all these splits, there were frequent wars between these divisions, resulting in the Peace of Augsburg, where people decided if their rulers would be Lutheran or Catholic, and whatever the ruler chose, the people were forced to practice the religion of the state. We also see the Thirty Years' War, which is the greatest conflict between Protestants and Catholics, and ended off with European power. It also leads to the Peace of Westphalia, allowing each area of the Holy Roman Empire to choose to be Roman Catholics, Lutheranism, or Calvinism. We also see in the Islamic world, the Ottomans used Sharia, which was strict Islamic law that dealt with all aspects of life. In the Safavid, they were Shias. They used Shia Islam to unify people and legitimize the rule of Shah Ismail and discredited Sunni rulers, causing conflict between them and the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire were largely Sunnis. In the Mughal Empire, we see lots of religious toleration and the creation of Sikhism, which was Hinduism influenced by Sufism, which is a branch of Islam. It was. It is monotheistic. It's a monotheistic faith, and its ruler Akbar encouraged education in the arts and literature. Okay, now this is literally the last part, but don't worry. We're gonna talk about important people. But first, let's talk about 
comparison, comparison in the land-based empires. During this time, many empires used different means of increasing their influence. Something that all empires shared were that they used military power that was well-trained and organized. In places like the Ottoman, Safavid, and Aztec Empire, they used enslaved people to become loyal and fearful soldiers. Centralized bureaucracies were key in ruling lots of people, like shown by the Chinese Ming and Manchu dynasties. With the civil service exam, the Ottoman Empire's use of Dejshirim to create a loyal class to the Sultan. Taxation was an important method of increasing influence because of the lavish lifestyles of the upper class, because that would not pay for itself. We see this in the Mughal Empire, that taxed peasants depending on their land and food production. The Aztecs also used this, but in a form of the tribute system where they asked for their tributary states for the goods they would need, including humans for sacrifice. So you would not want to be there at that time. Due to the ethnic and religious diversity, rulers turned to art, religion, and monumental architecture to legitimize their positions. In Islam, we see rulers claiming to be successors to Muhammad. Europe used the divine rights of kings to declare that they were carrying out God's will. In the Qing dynasty, they used portraits of officials to assert that they were the leaders. And for architecture, we see the Taj Mahal in Mughal Empire and the Palace of Versailles in France. Okay, I said this part was coming. We're going to talk about some important people. So let's get on with it. I am sorry if I mispronounce names, okay? So we see Kangqi. He was, he's the first person we're going to talk about, right? He was one of China's longest reigning emperors and ruled in a period of stability and expansion during the Qing Dynasty. He incorporated neighboring regions into his empire and ruled from 1661 to 1722. We see Emperor Tianlong, an important ruler during the Qing Dynasty, who ruled from 1736 to 1796. He was a poet and knew a lot about art and calligraphy. And he initiated, initiated military campaigns in the land west of China that included mass killings of the population. So he was not a nice guy. We also are going to move a little bit right now. We're going to talk about Russia. Ivan IV. He ruled from 1547 to 1584. And he was also known as Ivan the Terrible. He immediately set to expand the Russian border eastward in areas once ruled by the continents of Kazan, Astrakhan, and Siberia. His expansion was reliable on the use of gunpowder. You also see Tamerlane, a Mongol Turkic ruler in the late 14th century who led an army partly made up of nomadic invaders who moved out from the trading city of Samarkand to lead ruthless conquests in Persia and India and was also a gunpowder empire. Sorry, they were also a gunpowder empire. So you see Suleiman I. He led the peak of the Ottoman Empire. Him being able to lead an army into Vienna which instilled great fear to, the, to Christian Europe and had many great conquests like that of the island of Rhodes, a stronghold of Christian knights. We all see Ismail, right? He's a Safavid military hero. This is so interesting. Just look, he conquered most of Persia and he conquered Iran at 14 or 15 years old. He conquered all of Iran, right? And he was proclaimed Shah in 1501. What were y'all doing at 15 years old? Come on now, the grind never stops. You should literally get off the phone unless you're listening to this podcast right now. So we're also going to talk about Shah Abbas I. He ruled from 1588 to 1629 at the Safavid Empire's height. He relied on European weaponry and Europeans to advise him on how to use the new military technology. His army consisted of Christian boys pressed into service. You also see Akbar, who, was, who ruled when the Mughal Empire was at its richest. Just to clarify, the Mughal Empire was in India. And they, he also was the ruler when India, the Mughal Empire, was the best government state in the world. Under his rule, there was flourishing trade in a relatively peaceful period. We also see 
Shah Jahan, ruler of Mughal India during 1628 to 1658, and built the Taj Mahal as a tomb for his wife and allowed for India to have a beautiful architecture. So, key reminder, never settle for no one unless you're satisfied. So, let's talk about Henry VIII. He ruled from 1509 to 1547. He started the Anglican Church after he was not able to have a son from his previous wife. So he wanted the church to justify him marrying another woman so he could have a son. Obviously, that's not everything, but that was a part of why he started the new church. Which leads us to Anne Boylan. That was the woman that Henry VIII married to bear him or bore him a son. But now let's talk to the last two people. Martin Luther, he was a monk in Wittenberg who said that many of the church's practices violated biblical teachings. For example, there was like they were they would sell the church would sell offices and you were not supposed to do that and they would sell something that would be like if you bought this, you're automatically going to heaven. Just pay me this and you're going to heaven. And you know, obviously that's wrong because there's no guarantee and that's something that he said. I'm sorry for the dogs in the background, but that's why he said no, that's bad. And he wrote his objections in his 95 Thesis. Finally, we see John Calvin, a French theologian who broke with the Catholic Church around 1530 and authored the Institutes of the Christian Religion in 1536 to reform the religious community in Switzerland. And eventually, you know, that spread more. But yeah, those are some key people. And I am so glad that you have made it to the end of the episode. I'm sorry for all of the noise disturbances. But yeah, that is it for Unit 3. I hope you enjoyed and I hope to see you in unit four.